Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. the stress and the mess he'll lead you through the wilderness God knows God sees he hears your pleas God feels your pain he calls you by gonna see you through his promises are true yes god's gonna see God. 
Say that salvation is a fairy tale, and the story of Calvary is a fable told well. You may tell me that nothing could make me Well, here we are. Praise the Lord. Let's gather together and let's sing tonight. And uh, there is sunshine, not outside, but in my soul today. Let's stand together. And it's 364. Brother Caleb's coming to lead us. And let's every voice sing together tonight and uh, sing out to the Lord. It is good to be together on this Wednesday night. If you're glad to be here, say amen. amen. Praise the Lord. 364, there is sunshine in my soul today, more glorious and bright. Lift it up with me as we sing. There is sunshine in my soul today, more glorious and bright than clothes in any earthly sky. For Jesus is my light, but the sunshine, blessed sunshine, when the peaceful, happy moments roll, when Jesus shows his smiling face, there is sunshine in my soul. There is springtime in my soul today. 
face of being Oh, the sunshine, blessed sunshine When the peaceful, happy moments roll When Jesus shows his smiling face There is sunshine in my soul There is gladness in my soul today And hope and praise and love Scenes which he gives me now for joys laid up above. Other sunshine, blessed sunshine, when the peaceful, happy moments roll. When Jesus shows his smiling face, there is sunshine in my soul. Start tonight, 317, page 317. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. Think about these words, let's it up with me on the first together. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not care. and temptations Is there trouble anywhere We should never be discouraged Take it to the Lord in prayer Can we find a friend so Announcements go, grace goes, soul winning will be this Saturday at 1 o'clock, so be here for that if you're able. 
We have the men's wild game dinner tomorrow at 6, so tonight following the evening service we'll meet in the kitchen to help prep some of the meat for that. So men, if you're able to help us with that, we'll meet in the kitchen after the service is over. Bob McGee's ministry update will be February 27th. That's a Sunday. He'll be here for a 10.30 uh, a.m. service. And then Adventure Camp's prop prep night will be March the 1st at 6 p.m., so be here for that. And then don't forget about the Bend and Needs Seminar, March 12th at 9 o'clock in the morning, and that is a Saturday, is that right? Yes, that's a Saturday, so be here for that. And then the Snack Attack will be March 13th, that's Sunday evening, following the service, we'll be here at the church, hosted by Miss um, Kristen Garber and Miss Sarah Brubaker, uh, so be here for that. And that's all the current announcements. At this time, Brother Tom's going to come with one final announcement, and after that, the teens are dismissed. Well, can anybody tell me what is today? Pastor's birthday. Would you please come up? We're going to sing happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear pastor. Happy birthday to you. On behalf of the, de the deacon board and those of you here, I have a small token of our appreciation. Thank you. And uh, just want to tell you that we really appreciate your ministry here, and we just love you. And we hope for many more years. I'm young still. <laughs> so as long as the Lord gives uh, gives life, and uh, praise the Lord. It's good to be here today. And boy, uh, some kids came in ahead of the service and uh, gave me some cards. And one made a uh, a clay dog. And so it's going to sit on my memento shelf or my uh, souvenir shelf. And that's really awesome. Thank you all. And uh, and you know what? It's really embarrassing to just stand there and hear someone else, uh, others sing to you. You know that? So nonetheless, but thank you so very much, and it's been a good day, and uh, look forward to what God's going to do tonight in our hearts. Teens, you're, uh, you're dismissed, and uh, enjoy your time in the Word of God. Now, pay attention. God wants to speak to you tonight, and so we're going to give our hearts to the Word tonight as well. And so let's go to Luke chapter number 6 this evening, Luke chapter number 6. And uh, we are dealing with the subject of talk less, pray more, and uh, do you know we, uh, we tend to talk about issues and we should stop and pray about issues. And how many of you are still doing that? Like, you're still talking about them too much. You with me? I do too. And it seems like we deal with that. And so um, our heart is to, uh, to really be looking at subjects in, in Scripture that would help us just to, to see these are specific instances we need to get to prayer and ask the Lord to do that. Now, we will pray at the end of our time tonight. This is a Bible study, so I hope that you got a guide on the way in, and we'll, uh, we'll look at that. I just really encourage you about this matter, about the Bend and Knee Seminar. I have heard from many of you that God is growing you in the matter of personal prayer. That's, that's tremendous. Keep on that journey, and don't, don't be upset at yourself. You say, well, I missed a day, or you know, I just had a lousy day. Have you ever just woke up and just realized, you know, my brain is just not here. It's, it's in every different direction, and uh, you can't get two thoughts together, let alone talk together. You know what I'm saying? So listen, don't let Satan beat you up with that. Just be consistent, as consistent as you can, um, and it's just like brushing your teeth. You, know, go, you do it every day, whether, you know, if you, you know what I'm saying? You do it every day, whether you feel like it or not. And just stay at it, and uh, it's amazing how habits will form. But... 
again, um, over the last couple weeks, been looking at the life of the Lord Jesus and how the Lord Jesus constantly went to prayer. I gave you several weeks ago a list of all the times that he went to prayer in the Gospels. And so I'm working my way down through that list and selecting um, passages that we can just highlight and look at. Okay, what was Jesus doing? We asked that question, what did Jesus do? Well, he's our example. Uh, before we read the passage tonight, if you remember, uh, Hebrews 4 and verse number 15 says, We have a, not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. So he's gone through the same scurried, crazy, uh, trial-ridden days like you and I. He's dealt with the noise from, from the outside, all the, 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 just the hubbub of the world. He's dealt with all that, yet without sin. So he did it perfectly. And so now uh, he's this example for us. In fact, 1 Timothy 1 and verse number 16 says this, Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy. Paul speaking, I obtain mercy. Why? That in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter um, believe on him to eternal or life everlasting. And the idea is Paul saying, listen, Jesus is my pattern. I want to be someone else's pattern. What did he say? Follow me as I follow Christ. So he's my pattern. And the reason we should look at what did Jesus do with prayer is because we need to mimic him. We need to pattern our lives after him. He told us this is how you ought to pray in, his, in the model prayer or the disciples prayer as Brother Ingram mentioned, the disciples prayer. And, and this is how you ought to pray. I'm giving you a pattern. Why did he walk three years on earth? To give his disciples a pattern so they could go on afterwards and do, it, and do his mission, to carry out his mission. So let's look at chapter 6 of Luke. Now, can anyone tell me a little bit what is specifically... Um, what is specific to the book of Luke? How is the book of Luke as a gospel laid out? Does anyone remember? So what does Luke focus on uh, highlighting in Jesus? So if, what? A ministry, not, not quite. Um, Mark would focus on his, ser uh, his servitude, him as a servant. Manhood. So who he is as the God-man. So it emphasizes that. Now, what does, what does the book of Matthew emphasize? What's that? King. And so what does John emphasize? His deity. So Luke, Luke as a physician, isn't that interesting how God uses him in that way? Luke as a physician focuses in on his manhood. The other part that's interesting about Luke is this, that it's written in chronological order. So it is, it is a, a timed, so if you want to get a, a sense of the timing of some of these events, Luke is the, uh, is the book that is laid out in chronological order, not necessarily in theme, um, theme order. Okay, So Luke is very good this way, and this will help us even tonight as we study uh, chapter number 6. So let's look at chapter 6 in verse number 1. And it came to pass on the second Sabbath day after the first, notice the time, uh, the time references there, uh, that he went through the cornfields, and his disciples plucked the ears of corn and did eat, rubbing them with their hands. Why, why did they rub them with their hands? What? You get all the hair off, right? You know, you know, and the chaff, and get, you know, get, the, get it off. So anyway, to clean them and get them ready for eating. And verse number two, And certain of the Pharisees said unto them, Why do ye that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath days? And Jesus answering uh, uh, them said, 
Have you not read so much as this, that what David did when himself was hungered and they which were with him, how he went into the house of God and did take and eat the showbread and gave also to them that were with him, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priest alone? And he said unto them, the son of man is, the, is Lord, is Lord also of the Sabbath. And it came to pass also on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught. Now, what, remind us, what is a synagogue? It's a Jewish place of worship. How many men were needed inside of a city in order to set up? How many Jewish men were needed to set up a synagogue? Ten. Okay, so uh, they were responsible for the, the, for the supplying, uh, for the support of the, um, that synagogue, and that's why some of the, the, the synagogues where Paul, or the cities where Paul uh, traveled did not have synagogues because there wasn't that much of a Jewish population. So he's in the synagogue, verse number uh, six, and there was a man whose right hand was withered, and the scribes and Pharisees watched him whether he would heal on the Sabbath day. That, he, that they might find an accusation against him, but, they, um, but he knew their thoughts, just like he knows ours, and said to the man which had the withered hand, rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he rose up and stood uh, forth. Then said Jesus, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And looking around about upon them all, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored whole. I like that. It's restored whole as the other. So it didn't take, you know, it didn't take three months to be healed. It was restored whole in that moment. And they were filled with hmm, madness and communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. Now, here's what I want us to catch, verse 12. And it came to pass in those days. It came to pass in those days. What days? Well, what we just read about. Those two weeks that were just referenced. In those days that he, Jesus, went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them, now remember, verse number one, there's a larger group, and of them he chose 12, whom, he, uh, whom also he named apostles, and it goes down through the list there in the rest of the chapter. Now let's pray and ask God to bless our Bible study. Father, would you guide us tonight, and uh, we really just want to see Jesus tonight. So we've gathered together because we're, we're hungry. Um, we need you. It's the middle of the week, Lord. Uh, and we need you to strengthen us because there's more, there's more time out in this world. Uh, there's more opportunity to shine brightly for you. So we just need you to strengthen us, we pray. And uh, I pray for all the children and the teenagers as they hear your word tonight. Would you empower each teacher? Would you presence yourself in the classes? And would you get glory? Would you draw any hearts that do not yet know you to salvation? Uh, by faith in Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we uh, consider this, Jesus is our pattern. Here he is, and he has a pretty stressful week. I want you to notice this first, that as Jesus is going about his life, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of noise going on, a lot of chaos going on. There's issues that are arising, and let's look at this noise. First of all, in verses 1 through 5, there was a nagging, the nagging of the, the religious leaders. And uh, the reason I say nagging is because it was constantly going on. 
It was constantly uh, happening in, their, in his life. They're constantly nagging. And you notice here in verse number two, the Pharisees, they're lurking in the cornfields and they're, they're saying, hey, uh, hey, we see that you've grabbed this corn to eat. You're hungry. We see you grabbed this corn to eat and they're going after him for this. So they begin to nag, uh, nag him. You know what's interesting about the Pharisees is they really, uh, as a group, were more interested in finding Jesus messing up as if he could than seeking him they were not interested in jesus they were not interested in having a relationship with him they were not interested in all what he could offer them uh, they were interested in finding how he could mess up now here's the thing the pharisees throughout jesus's whole earthly ministry were critics uh, that's exactly what they were they were they were fierce critics they were expert critics they they really honed in on this skill think about this uh, critics in general are very rarely if ever seekers of jesus christ uh, they are so focused on others they aren't seeking jesus christ the pharisees were not seeking jesus christ they were focused on tripping him up they were focused as critics on the minutiae and they were uh here here we are on the sabbath day you can't eat uh, it's not lawful for you to do that. And they were focused on the minutia, not the, they were focused on the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. Even as we look into our church constitution, as you get to the end of what is called the membership covenant, you get to the end there, it, it has a statement that this isn't, this isn't intended to be all about the letter of the law, it's intended to be about the spirit of the law. And really, that needs to be the heart of us as a church. We're not looking at, you know, crossing all the, the spiritual checkboxes. We want Jesus. And when, we ha when Jesus has our heart, the, the different checkboxes really aren't the issue. Jesus is the issue. And so we want to stay focused on that. The Pharisees did not. They're focused on the minutia. Critics uh, make mountains out of molehills. They just expand issues. Have you ever been around a person that just seems to take a small issue and just, just drive it home? They're drama-ridden, right? That's the Pharisees. You got around them, there's always going to be a contention. By the way, that, that really convicts me, um, and, and I can remember back, uh, especially coming right out of college, boy, it just seemed like, hey, where's the fight? Where's the battle to be had? Where's the next thing to debate? You know what? I don't, I don't, I don't find that that's the heart of Jesus, and, uh, and, and so we got to be careful about that. And, uh, and the Pharisees were not careful about that at all. Now, critics very rarely, I'm going to say this in, in, in correlation with our, with our vision this year, critics very rarely are going to get focused on winning souls, making disciples, and anticipating that God's going to work. They're not going to focus on that. They're going to focus on the minutia. They're going to focus on the problems. They're going to focus on all that. Friends, we don't want to be like them. Uh, the Pharisees were rejecting unrepentant uh religious proud they were the, uh, these type of uh, individuals we don't want to be like them but they were nagging after jesus and adding to all this noise by the way the law breaking that they're talking about it's not lawful a lot of that yes there there was some minutiae in the law but a lot of that was was their own man-made traditions that were being broken so what was really at play here is they that Jesus was allowing his disciples to violate the, something that they were declaring and saying, you got to follow. In order to be religious, you got to follow this. And so they were upset. Why? Because they're going against the status quo. They're going against the, the religious establishment and making the Pharisees look bad. And, uh, and certainly Jesus, as, a, as the, uh, the Savior of grace, 
was not all about the law. And they were, they were all about the law. In fact, the Bible says this, that uh, except your righteousness exceed the, the righteousness of the Pharisees, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. What was Jesus saying? You've got to be perfect. They were all about law-keeping. That's what they were about. And they controlled people by demanding them do this. And they did this constantly. And just notice how they were following Jesus around. Kind of creepy. And following Jesus around, they found him at the cornfield, you know, and they're just like, they're like the Gestapo, you know, the religious Gestapo here, uh, and, and it, it's quite interesting. So the, the nagging, I, I, I use that word on purpose because nagging's not fun at all, right? It's like, be quiet already. No, not the, not the Pharisees. But I want us to notice in verse number six, we find as the next Sabbath day, there's not a Sabbath day that goes by that they're not trying to find something wrong with Jesus. Notice their envy, the envy of these religious, uh, these religious leaders. Their heart was not building the kingdom of God. Their heart was building their, their kingdom and their power structure and their grip on, man, uh, on, the, on the worshipers within Jerusalem. By the way, there's many that came to Jerusalem. I think about the Ethiopian eunuch that came to Jerusalem from down, uh, da- uh, down south, from Ethiopia. And you know what? He walked away from Jerusalem, is reading the, the, the scroll of Isaiah in the desert, not having gotten answers up in Jerusalem. Why? Because that religious structure up there was dead. Very controlling, lifeless, dead, full of man's traditions. And he, he walked away, and God sent him Philip, Acts chapter 8, to explain, explain the word of God to him uh, down there. But the religious structure up there was, was very, very dead, and they were very envious about keeping that, that power grab. And by the way, that still happens today. And, and let's, not, let's not deny it, it still even happens in, in churches that believe the gospel. It's all about the, the power structure. It's all about us building our kingdom and, and not interested in, in what's going on in, in the greater kingdom of God and bringing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... As we consider this, um, look at verse number six, verse number seven, and the scribes and Pharisees watched him whether he would heal on the the Sabbath day. I mean, just think about that. They watched him uh, whether he would heal. They're just waiting, you know, just kind of tapping there. You just kind of see these guys in the corner with their sunglasses on, just kind of watching, you know, seeing this is going to come down. And do you realize Jesus was interested in the souls of men, in healing? And I love when Jesus heals somebody physically. It's just a picture of what he does to us um, uh, spiritually. And he heals us whole in that very moment. He heals us completely. Now, uh, it's said that there's 7.8 billion people in the world. It's said that there are about 2.5 billion Christians in the world, according to Lifeway. Now, whether that's born-again believers, um, but according to Lifeway, 2.5. You know there's a big job to be done. There's an enormous need right now as we sit here. There's an enormous need. There's an enormous need in our, in our city. And so when we think about that, our purpose and Jesus' purpose in that city was enormous. He needed to be reaching out. He needed to be um, healing people. He needed to be bringing people to faith in him. And you know what happens? There will always be someone to criticize how you seek to fulfill your purpose. Here's Jesus. He came to seek and to save that which is lost, right? And here are these, these religious leaders. Get that. The religious leaders, they were the ones, they, everyone saw them as a religious leader. They looked like a religious leader. They, they talked the talk. They, they prayed on the street corners. They looked, they looked the way that a religious leader ought to look in their minds. And yet they were the ones criticizing Jesus who was accomplishing his purpose. 
And I just want us to remember this, that even sometimes from the religious, there will be criticisms that come along that hinder us from filling our God-given purpose. Nobody's saying, well, there's a better way, a better way to go about it. I, you know, I think how much we see the seeker-sensitive movement and all this that, that goes on in our day, we got to have this. We, we got to draw them in. We got to lure them in. And, and they criticize and criticize. They look down on those that are simply just trying to preach the gospel and love people. And friends, I, I, I just say, I say, it happened in Jesus' day. There were those that criticized him in his day and, and tried to prevent his purpose. And the fact is, it will still happen in our day. It will still happen in our day. And you might meet them at work. You might meet them inside the church walls. You might meet them out on, you know, as you're going, going out. You might meet them in different places, but there's still those, those critics that might even be religious. And, and a, much of it comes down to envy, and especially in their case, it did. Now, I love this, and I remember this. Uh, Deal Moody was uh, facing a critic one time, and uh, the critic was criticizing how he, he uh, went about soul winning. It's interesting. And they criticized how he went about soul winning. So here, here's what he says. It is, it is clear you don't like my way of doing evangelism. You raise some good points. That, that's a way to disarm some critics. You raise some good points, right? Right there. And so, frankly, sometimes I don't like the way that I do evangelism. And so he, he goes on a, a little bit more. He says, but I do like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. And D.L. Moody just kind of cut, you know, cut to the chase. The, the fact is, there, there's always going to be something come up against our purpose. You've probably faced that this week, right? You're supposed to raise your family for God. Someone criticizes the way you do it. You're supposed to have a good work ethic and, and honor God at, at work, and someone criticizes you for the way you do it. And friends, this was happening to Jesus. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He didn't cave to it. He did what God told him to do. And so people, um, people often tear down in order to build, um, build themselves up. Maybe you have someone that's an you know, excessive critic, and they, it seems like they're just constantly tearing you down. They're, they're, they're weighting you down. Friends, <laughs> we have to rise above that. And here's what I want us to see tonight. I really want us to see, well, there might be much noise in your life. What did Jesus do with it? Much of this noise did not come from the people who needed Jesus. Do you see that? The withered man was not saying, hey, uh, I don't like the way that you just healed me. The fact is, it's not as much the lost world sometimes that's bringing on the criticism. They, they know they need help. They know the, the drugs don't, uh, don't uh, salve their pain. They know the, the booze, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't work anymore. And they know the uh, immoral relationships truly don't satisfy. They're, they're tired. They're worn out. Do you understand what I'm saying? And it's not often them. And here it is. It's the religious, unbelieving religious that we're bringing on the criticism. So what did Jesus do? Now, you tell me, help me out. What is, when you're criticized, what is your, your, gut, your gut desire to do? Retaliate, what else? Defend? Show them up? Let's say that. Okay, there you go. Anything else? What's that? Hurt them back? Very honest. <laughs> okay, so what did Jesus do? Why 
why do we miss this? Why do I miss this? So verse number 12, and it came to pass in those days. What days? Noisy, chaotic days where he's getting criticized left and right. You imagine going to church every, you know, to the gathering, and, and it just, it, it's there, and it's there, and it's there. What did he do? He prayed. He prayed. And so let's, let's, let's look at this. It wasn't just pray. He gave himself to deliberate prayer. It was in the midst of the noise. In those days, he went out into a mountain and prayed. Or to pray, I should say. That was his intention. Now, friends, listen. It was in the midst of this noise that he made this decision. I'm going to separate myself from it, and I'm going to go pray. Now, here's the thing. There's going to come times in our lives that we have to separate ourselves from the chaos and we have to simply go and seek God. We got to get alone with God. And it might be a fa some family drama that you're facing. It might be some work drama, but you have to say, I, by God's grace, here's some time. I'm going to go get alone with God and I'm going to get a clear head on this matter. Friends, time with our Father will clear our minds. It will help us to rise above all this so his intention was to go pray ch spurgeon said anything is a blessing which makes us pray and we think oh man woe is me i'm getting criticized friends if jesus got criticized you and i are going to get criticized we're human we we probably deserve it how many are you with me yeah i've deserved some criticism i've deserved it i've deserved some criticism in the ministry yeah it, 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 if Jesus was criticized, we're going to get criticized. We're not perfect. But the fact of the matter is we're going to have to break from the noise. We're going to have to break from the time. We're going to have to separate ourselves. Notice he went out into a mountain. That takes some, some choice there. It takes some de uh, deliberate thinking. I'm going to set apart. I'm going to get apart from all this, and I'm going to seek God. So in the midst of noise, and what else was his, uh, was his deliberate prayer? It was for an extended time. Now, I don't want us to overemphasize uh, the, the time frame. It was the fact that he gave himself to prayer. I get the idea that he went out there and whatever it took to be with his father, he's going to do. Now, understand he was in, in perfect harmony with his father. I also was thinking about this today. I, I, I guess it was probably just a sweet time of fellowship. Sometimes we get focused on, well, I got to do this. I got to go pray. What about just enjoying enjoying your heavenly father just being there with him um notice it says there he continued all night in prayer this became his just state of being i'm in prayer i'm in the mode of prayer all through the night there isn't sleeping going on why uh because he's in prayer he's petitioning the father lord what must i do and and you know what was a lot there's all this noise going on. By the way, we should take a cue from Jesus' life. When there's opposition and noise and there's problems, God is about to do something wonderful. We'll only experience it if we get to prayer. We'll only be able to walk into it if we get to prayer. And we'll get to the, the wonderful part in a moment, but he's, he's spending this extensive time in prayer all night. Now, I want to ask you, what would cause you, what would cause us to give a night to God in prayer? 
Now, I'm not talking about forcing, like, okay, I'm going to stay up all night. I'm going to drink energy drinks so I can stay up all night. I'm talking about what would, what would cause you, can you imagine yourself giving yourself to prayer through a whole night? What would, what would be the scenario that would cause you to spend all night in prayer? Okay, extreme tragedy. All right, burden for someone's soul. Amen. Sweet communion. Interesting thought. Do you think there's any time in our life that God would love to spend a night with us in prayer? And maybe that sounds as daunting as spending an hour with God. I want to I consider this for a moment. Um, if you or I were to follow Jesus in this, we would have to be of the belief, the firm, heart-level belief, that God was the only answer to the problem that we are facing. There was no other one, and we're going to get along with God, and we're going to seek and talk it out. We've had four-hour conversations with another human about a problem, right? Husbands and wives, you've, you've had long conversations, right? So we believe that God alone is the solution. Uh, we're desperate enough to be alert. It's awakened us to, boy, I just need God. I don't, I'm not fighting sleep. I, I'm, I, I'm talking to God about this. Now, uh, Genesis 32 and verse number 24, we find that Jacob spent all night in prayer. But his prayer was a little bit more like wrestling, and you know what I find there that it was wrestling with God about yielding yourself to him. I can remember when God touched my heart in that missions conference, the year that he was calling me uh, to, to, to give over my life to follow him in ministry. I can remember for five days not resting well. I cannot say that I was, pray, uh, I was praying, but I was wrestling with God. I can remember back to those days. And there were many sleepless nights until I said, I surrender all. And it was God, I, 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 it is a very, very similar situation. God didn't touch my thigh. But he did tell me this, if, you, if you, you're not going to make this choice, I'm not guaranteeing you the rest of your life. And, and I, that was a very serious exchange with God back when I was 17. Uh, I think First Samuel 15, verse 11, you mentioned grief over a, a loved one and praying for them. When, when Saul, when God brought judgment upon King Saul, do you know the Bible says there in, in 1 Samuel that Samuel grieved and he cried to the Lord, unto the Lord all night? Here's a, a grief over a spiritual decision of someone else that was going to harm them. I'm burdened about someone else's spiritual decision. What about uh, grief over our own sin? 2 Samuel 12 and verse 16, David Therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. Boy, he wanted God to, to, to turn around this consequence. Grief over our own sin in consequence. What about grief over the sin of a spiritual leader? Joel chapter 1 and verse number 13. The Bible says, and, and, and God's saying, Gird yourselves and lament, uh, ye priests, how ye ministers of the altar, come lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God. 
what's God saying? You ought to be spending all night in prayer grieving over the sin of the spiritual leaders. And by the way, there ought to be some grief over the spiritual leaders in our nation that are turning away from God. I was just talking to uh, uh, Ms. Pam this morning, uh, and, and I, I, was, I, was, I was talking about uh, a funeral service and, and the, the, the not preaching the gospel at funeral services. And how heartbreaking it is to, to watch someone who has a Bible open and not preach the gospel. Friends, we have a, we have a country full of people who have who've become so politically correct, spiritual leaders who have become so politically correct, they're not willing to stand up in public and preach the gospel anymore. We ought to be heartbroken. There ought to be some heartbroken leaders over this. God was calling them in the, in the book of Joel to just that. Grief over that. How hard that is. Now, as we consider this, uh, Jesus had no sin. He did not need to grieve that night over sin, over distance um, between him and the Father. He was there requesting the Father and seeking the Father's direction for uh, the forward motion and, and ministry. And so I want us to realize Jesus' model for us, prayer is a declaration of dependence. Father, I need you. What is he showing to us? We need the Father. We need him. So yes, we give time to him in prayer. Yes, we seek him in prayer. And that's exactly what Jesus did. So Jesus uh, had the noisy times, but he determined and gave deliberate time in prayer. Why? Because there was critical work ahead of him. There was critical work that was ahead of him. Every day is valuable. C.T. Studd uh, said it this way, only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last as I think about my, my life. Yeah, I'm young and, and many of you are older than me, but I think, okay, I, uh, if, if God is, is, is going to give me that 70 years of life, I don't know if he's going to. But I, I, I don't have I don't have a lot of time left. More than half of my life is, is already passed. I think about that. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ is, uh, is going to last. There is critical work for us right now. There's a lot of people in the world, right in our own city, that don't know Jesus Christ. And they're, they're hopeless. They don't have hope. There's people in your neighborhood and people in your workplace and people in your family. And we ought to pray about tomorrow night that God will touch hearts that don't know Jesus Christ as the gospel is preached. And uh, there is critical work to be done. But what was Christ's critical work? We know what he's left us here to do, to win souls, make disciples, and to believe that there's a, harvest, um, there's a harvest out here right now. There's a harvest. So there's critical work in verse number 13. It says, and when it was day, he called unto him his disciples. So I don't know how large this group is, but he called his disciples to him, okay? So they're all gathered around with him, and of them he chose 12. So here's what I want us to notice. The critical work that Jesus had ahead of him was choosing the specific 12 that would be his teammates, that would go with him from city to city, that he would train to preach the gospel, that he would train to be the apostles, and as Ephesians 2.11 says, would be the foundation of the church when Jesus went back, to, uh, went back to heaven. So think about this. This is a very critical decision. These were the men upon whose shoulders the, um, the church would be, would be started and it would, would grow, and it would go forward. This was an incredibly important decision. You understand who's on your team is important. You understand that picking a spouse is important. You understand that uh, in workplace, uh, who's on the team, it really, it really matters whether that, that workplace or whether that, that department's going to go forward. Jesus 
was picking the men who were going to go with him and were going to catch his heart, catch his vision, and when he left, he was going to be able to look at them and say, carry it on, guys. Teach the next generation of disciples. Uh, teach to the Timothys. Teach to the Tituses. Teach to the Epaphroditus. Teach them. Teach Polycarp. And so on, as it goes on. And so you see all, you see all this. Uh, he's deciding on his team. And he says specifically, he chose, uh, uh, chose 12, and whom also he named apostles. Apostles is sent ones. By the way, Acts helps us understand they needed to, see, uh, they needed to witness the life of Jesus Christ in its totality from his baptism uh, through his resurrection. They needed to personally see him. Paul was an apostle born out of due time. So uh, just understand, uh, apostles aren't still around today. That, that office is, is not, not, still, uh, not still current. They were the foundation of the church. Incredibly important. What's interesting to me is as, as Jesus picked these men, as he noted them or decided on them, they were a part of a larger group of disciples. And friends, you know what's interesting? There's many who call themselves disciples, but not everyone is, is, is someone who is just passionate about being with Jesus Christ. Now, they had their ups and downs. Uh, not everyone is willing to say, yes, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Not everyone's willing to hear that call. And I'm not just talking about a call to ministry. I'm talking about a call to be close to his side, okay? I'm, I'm talking about closeness with Jesus. I want Jesus to use me. I want to be where Jesus is. I want to walk with him. And so here's these, these 12 that surfaced out of this larger group of ministry, uh, of disciples. And, uh, you know, I find that leaders many times, they, they are not as much, uh, you know, you're going to be a leader. They, they emerge. They emerge out of a group, and their, their heart is, boy, I want this. I, I want to go somewhere. I want to go with you, Jesus. And, boy, let's have that type of heart. Let's have the type of heart that we're, we're like the, the Elisha sticking with Elijah. I just want to be with Jesus. I want to be close to him. I don't have to be told I got to be there. I, I want to be close to him. It's in my heart to be there with him. It's in my heart to serve alongside of him. It's in my heart there. And so Jesus wanted the mind of his father for this crucial decision. So he's spending all night in prayer. We cannot know the hearts of men. God alone does. And so we need to pray. We need to pray. Oh, who's going to be my friend? Who I'm going to listen to and, and get uh, advice from? Who I'm going to partner with? Who I'm going to influence? Who I'm going to marry? Who I'm going to be with? I, I, it matters that I get the mind of God in prayer. So Jesus goes from discerning his team, deciding on his team. Then notice what he does. He preaches a sermon on the mount. Now, it's, it's scrunched together here in chapter number 6. You go over to Matthew 5 through 7, you can, get the, you can get the Sermon on the Mount there. But here's a parallel passage. But he begins to preach the, the Sermon on the Mount. He begins with the Beatitudes, as we understand. And, and really, he begins to preach a cross-cultural message. I mean, it's, it's counter-cultural. It doesn't even make sense to the lost man. And this was the message that served as kind of a constitution for the kingdom of God being set up in the hearts of man where God was ruling as king in, in their hearts. And he's saying, this is the way I want my servants and this is the way that I want my followers to behave and act. And so he preaches this message and I'm just mindful of the fact that before effective, powerful declaration, Jesus got with his father and got his heart and got his mind and then he declared, now, we see the same thing happen in Acts chapter number 1 and 2. Before they, 
they declared on the, on the day of Pentecost, before they declared the gospel powerfully, they were with God in prayer. And their powerful prayer resulted in effective, powerful preaching, declaration. C.H. Spurgeon, again, and we quote him often because he was a prince of preachers. He was just a, a, a one that, that in, uh, could so well declare, uh, declare truth. He says this, prayer will singularly assist you in the delivery of your sermon. In fact, nothing can so gloriously fit you to preach as descending from the mountain of communion with God to speak with man. And we think, well, I gotta, I gotta have the right tools, I gotta have the right training, I gotta have, no, we gotta be alone with God in prayer. And there are some people that we can look back to preachers and even preachers that no one knows anything about. They know how to get a hold of God. And friends, I'm telling you what's encouraging about that matter is every single one of us has a message to share with this world, and it's not about how clever you are. It's not about your personality. It's not about you knowing all the right things to say in that moment. It is about us being alone with God in prayer and being able to go out from that time overflowing and then be able to share what he's given to us. Friends, that's, that makes it accessible for every one of us. But we got to get down to this matter of being able to get alone with God in prayer. That's what Jesus did. And we can argue that, well, Jesus was God and, and it was different for him. He still showed us a pattern. And the pattern works. So he demonstrated to us that deliberate prayer is needed before I make decisions and before I declare the gospel or before I declare any of his truths. You know what that means? In my family, before I make a decision? Before I declare God's word to my family, I need to be with God in prayer. And friends, even, even declaring to our families, taking God's truth and making it relevant to my 12-year-old or, or to uh, your grown children, you need to be alone with God in prayer. You need to seek God. So I again ask and, and really encourage you, what is the deliberate time in prayer that you're spending? How are you doing? I don't want to beat you up with that. I'm just, I'm just saying, how are you doing? Are we, are we, God's been teaching us, so are we, are we finding that daily time? Are we exercising that? Are we giving way when God is pulling on our heart and saying, you know what, turn off the TV or turn off that, put down the book, come talk to me for a little bit. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm guilty of being in the car and I feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit saying, hey, it'd be a really great time for you to talk to me. And then I get distracted, make a phone call. You know what I mean? It's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? So let's give that deliberate time in prayer. And we're going to do that right now. Um, I believe the Lord is, you know, working in our hearts. And so even as we go to prayer here tonight, you know, just, just talk to him about, about this. Maybe it's still that I need to set that time. Here's what I'd like to do. Uh, we're all spread out around the auditorium. And I understand that that, you know, sometimes that, that makes it feel a little bit like we're not as together. And we are, we're still praying together as we've been learning and, boy, I've been enjoying just um, exercising and allowing the Holy Spirit to, to lead our prayer meetings. Um, but what I'd like for us to do is just kind of move up to the front and even if you want to just come up and sit on the altar or whatever, but let's, let's gather together. Remember this, so just, just stand up. Let's move closer to the front, the front rows here and so forth. We're going to pray like we have been. Um, we're going to seek the Lord. We have Sunday coming up. We have tomorrow night's uh, men's meeting. There's, there's uns 